Hello and welcome to Dream Life Best Fit Role with me, Nikki Smith. I'm a psychologist, a career change coach and a strengths coach. I believe that everybody can love their work and I help people to use their natural strengths to transform their work life and love their job. These podcast episodes shine a light on my clients and other inspiring individuals who have created their dream life best fit role or business. I focus on how they play to their natural strengths, those activities that energize and inspire them. I also focus on how they've conducted mini experiments to take the fear out of change and generate momentum. Hello, welcome everyone. I'm here talking to the genius mind of Claire Richardson. Claire is a ghostwriter, nonfiction writer and editor. Um, people hire Claire to ghost write autobiographies and thought leadership books, also to write nonfiction works ranging from company histories to specialty and hobby books, as well as catalogues. She is an experienced editor, reader and coach for other writers. And prior to this, because you know I love a career change, uh, Claire had a successful <laughs> career in international business and marketing. And she lived for extended periods in Asia, India and the Middle East and Europe. So you can imagine she's had a lot of exposure to different situations, types of people and ways of life. And recently I was talking to a few clients about their bosses and I looked up the traits of a narcissist to see if their boss's traits or behaviours fitted into the category of a narcissist. And guess what? (laughs) They did. And I knew that Claire was writing um, an amazing book And there's some chapters on narcissism. So I got in touch with Claire and said, can we talk about this? And oh my God, the conversation was so incredible. I knew we had to get back together and record it for all of you because I know that you either have come across a narcissist in the workplace or potentially even in your family. And it's so helpful to understand the layers to it, what your options are and all the strategies that um, are at your fingertips if you want to use them. So Claire, thank you so much for joining me today. No, it's a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Fantastic, Claire. I can't wait to dive into this with you. So if you're an employee uh, working with someone who really just seems so extreme, how, what would they see if um, that person was a narcissist or what would they notice? So something that really changed my life was understanding this really critical part about people with narciss- people who exhibit narcissism. And that is they lack what they call in psychology psychological terms is whole object relations. So that is they actually cannot see uh, anybody, including themselves, as being a person that has both positive and negative traits. So that we're all kind of a well-rounded person. They only see people as being either all very, very good or all very, very bad. There's no in-between or there's no kind of well-roundedness. So that what that means for you as an employee is that you're either in favour or you're out of favour. There's no, there's no in-between. And that can actually really, really shift depending on, on their mood or, you know, on the, where the wind blows or, you know, it, it can have nothing to do with you at all, um, the, the way that that swings. But what that also means is that that's true for themselves. So they cannot see themselves as, you know, as having flaws. So that completely changes the way that they behave and it changes the way that their their logical thinking works. So for them, protecting, making sure that they can see themselves in that all positive light um, is very, very critical. So while somebody who has, uh, has narcissistic traits 
um, may appear to be quite arrogant, it's actually highly possible that they're very, very insecure, but in order to keep themselves thinking of themselves in that, in that all good space, there's a, a range of things that, that you'll notice about them. So the first one is that they will, they will never accept blame anything for anything, because if they're wrong, then they're completely worthless. If they're wrong, then they go from that, that all good to that all bad sort of stage. Similarly, they won't apologize because it's way too humiliating to accept blame um, when they, even when they clearly know that they're wrong, but they, they can't do that because then that will shatter their worldview of, of being all good and, 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 and put them into that crippling kind of depression, you know, or self-loathing self phase. Um, but in saying that, like if they, if they do do something wrong, it, they definitely won't apologize, but they may do something like offer a reparative gesture. So they will do... They may, um, in a workplace situation, they may give you a project you wanted to work on or they may let you go home early or something like that uh, after they've done something wrong. Um, and if they do that, then that's kind of a signal to you. Yes, they know they, they, they're wrong but, and, and you can kind of choose to, to move on or what have you there <laughs> or not. And yeah, and also they, they don't really respect or notice other people's boundaries. So you have to be very, very clear about, about those things. So they're, they're actually the way that their logic is centered around their self-esteem and keeping their self-esteem at that higher level because there's no in-between. It's either, it's either right up there or it's, it's, it's down below. And similarly, as an employee, you're either favored or you're out. And um, depending on the types of the type of narcissist, because um, as you mentioned, there's a few different types, uh, you can, uh, you know, you will, you will also go, it could go swing many times throughout the day, or you could be just stuck in one of those, those areas altogether. Yeah, wow. Just hearing that is incredible and so useful to, to really understand what's actually going on for them yes. um, and how it is demonstrated. Yeah, their and brains so, work completely differently. <laughs> completely differently and it's unchangeable. So we, mm. we can't change it, can we? No, no, no. And certainly in a workplace situation, if, if they're a boss and you're an employee, actually, it is incredibly difficult even if they do get on the off chance that a, a narcissist does get some help uh, it is it's also incredibly difficult to change because as I mentioned in order to accept, accept that they need to get some help they have to be at that all bad level because it, accepting help is a sign of weakness and any sign of weakness brings them off that that I'm all good down to the I'm worthless area and so it is an incredibly difficult one I mean it's not impossible but it is incredibly difficult to to change people like this and certainly in a workplace it's a it's not your job to do that <laughs> and b it's incredibly difficult but the good news is there are some things that you can do <laughs> that to, to make your life easier. Absolutely. Um, can, can you share a bit about your personal experience and the mindset shift that you made to make things oh, more tolerable? Absolutely. I read this article by um, Greenberg in, um, in the Psychology Today mag um, magazine, and it was actually about a rom having romantic relationships with narcissists. Now, mercifully, I have avoided that in my life, but I've had a lot of it in the workplace. But I started reading it and all the pennies dropped and I went, oh, my God, I've been doing everything wrong 
So I, I recall in, in one, one situation, I was, I was brought in as a consultant back in my other life when I was doing, um, doing marketing. And I was supposed to give recommendations for why a particular program wasn't achieving its goals in terms of uh, sales. So I did a lot of investigating and I went and did some mystery shopping. I did a, a range of things and I pulled together a, a report. So I was employed by one particular division, but there was another division that was also involved in the service provision for the, the sales process. So I just foolishly went about and reported my my findings as as just factual. And uh, and then but then when I presented these to these two two departments, um, the one that commissioned me was not not run by a narcissist, but unfortunately the other one was definitely had a narcissistic head, and uh, that person got very very upset with my my report purely because a lot of the issues were coming from their team. Now, as I said, I wasn't making things up. I wasn't embellishing things. I wasn't saying this is you know this is just outrageous and you have to do. It. I wasn't. I wasn't saying things like this. I was basically just saying when I went to this information session, you know, this is what happened. And you would read the, what had happened and you would say, okay, well, we absolutely need to change this. But, uh, you know, but the fact that this person was reading these things that were happening in, in their teams, even if it was just factual and without, without embellishment, they took that as a personal affront rather than going, okay, great. Now we know what we need to fix. They went, oh, I'm getting attacked here. And and so therefore they went on the counter attack with me and started attacking me. And I mean, mostly they weren't the ones paying my bills, but it did make things incredibly difficult. And at that time, you know, I it, it certainly wasn't my first rodeo with a narcissist, but I didn't really know what a narcissist was and wouldn't have known to change the way that I was presenting um, to that person. I had no idea about that. I just thought, okay, if you're born as a consultant and someone asks you to do something, you give them your absolute appraisal. That turned out to be, you know, to make life incredibly difficult for me and yeah and I mean I, I tend to be a bit of a sledgehammer anyway sometimes you know people might say that I tell it how it is and sometimes for a narcissist if that if, if they perceive that to be oh, okay well you're actually attacking someone in my team or, or it's reflecting on me then you can make things really really difficult for yourself and I definitely did that for a lot of years until I worked out what was going on. Oh Claire that's yeah such a great example of what happens so often and so it sounded like you read this article and some pennies dropped and you identified that you needed to make a mindset shift and change some behaviors so could you share a bit more about that sure well the first thing is you have to realize you just have to forget about behaving the way you normally would so you are not dealing with a rational person so they are rational in the context of that whole object relations thing that I was talking about before. So they will, so what is rational for them is to try and keep themselves at that, uh, that all good level and at all costs because they're either all good or they're all terrible. So in that way, they are acting rationally to keep themselves there. But what that translates to is all those other things. So they, you know, not accepting blame, not apologizing, all those kinds of things. And also becoming easily offended if you are giving them criticism. So 
that so they're whereas normal people um, or non-narcissistic non people may be able to to operate in in ways where they go oh yes actually no I made a mistake here or I could do, I could improve here and things like that that is absolutely not the way that they behave and and react in the way that they think and so you have to completely change your mindset okay so I'm not dealing with somebody who I, I'm not I cannot deal with them the way I would deal with uh, someone who isn't narcissistic I have to deal with them in a completely different way so in the workplace it really does depend on how your relationship is going with your narcissist if you're listening to this and <laughs> then it's likely that that you're having some trouble with them because they are incredibly difficult for a non-narcissist like narcissists seem to work well together they understand each other but if you're not a narcissist then you can really struggle but there are things you can do so the first one is it is and this is this is important for anyone that you're working with who's who's difficult but it is really important to protect yourself in the workplace so what do i mean by that document everything so if you have a meeting with your narcissist and it's not getting minuted and that can include even a one on one with you or contentious conversations that you have after that meeting you take your own notes send them an email and just say, okay, this is what happened and these are the action items as I understand them and then finish finish them with a statement sort of similar to that, like please let me know if you have a different recollection or if I've missed anything. That way you have a record because another thing that narcissists, narcissist boss can do is they can kind of change their minds or conveniently forget things that they've asked. So it's really important to have a document what you've been doing. Even any contentious phone conversations, follow that up with an email. Now, some people are like, oh, but they were swearing. I don't want to put that into the, or they were they were completely out of control. Still put that in. Like, don't take the emotion out of what they've said. If they've said, okay, you were unhappy with the way things were going on Project X, and therefore you would like us to do Y. So you take the emotion out, but just make sure that you've got a document so you can protect yourself. So that if they come back later and say, oh, no, I didn't say that. You'll say, well, I actually do, I do have this, this email here. It can also help if they start trying to badmouth you throughout the organisation. So if you get called into HR, obviously in an ideal world, you would never have to use these things. You know, it's better to have them and not need them than need them and not have them. So, and also the other thing that this does is if you are regularly sending these emails so they know that they've got a they've got a, a record of here, these things then they are far less likely to actually target you over somebody else so because they know that it's going to be harder to trip you up so it is a very good way of protecting yourself now if the behavior is more serious like there's bullying sexual harassment or physical abuse which you know it does happen sometimes or other criminal or antisocial behavior don't be afraid to voice or even video record. It's completely appropriate. In, uh, in Australia, I think, at least in most parts of Australia, it is legal for one party to record a conversation without consent. Um, if you're recording two other people, that is not necessarily legal. But if you're one of the parties in the conversation, you're allowed to record it without the knowledge or consent of another party. So if it's very, very serious, then consider even voice or video recording things so that you have have some sort of evidence if, if you need it. And as I said, you hope that you don't need it, but if you do, it's better to have it and not need it than need it and not have it. But also there's that signal to, to the narcissist that, okay, you're not going to be, you're not somebody who's weak because that is something that they, they sort of target. And yeah, you're, you're, you're not going to be taking any rubbish from them, basically. The other things are how you talk to them. 
So it can be very difficult. So I'll start with, first of all, it's important to prime the situation. So if your narcissist is in a foul mood, if you walk into the office and you think, okay, we're going to have, I, I really need to talk to them about X, Y, Z, and they're just in a foul mood or they've just been upset with somebody, it's not the right time. You really need them in a positive frame of mind before you try to get something to get something going. So a few things that you can do to sort of prime the situation is, is definitely pick your time. So if you've noticed that there's a particular time when they're in a better mood, whether it's maybe after lunch or after a sports team has just won something or after a regular meeting that they seem to enjoy or something like that, like maybe that's a good time to actually speak with them. Or if some people, and this is a funny strategy, but you may notice something um, that they enjoy, like you, you know, maybe they do like sports or maybe it's quilting or it could be anything, right? But you could potentially start by talking about something that they enjoy or showing images or pictures that are not related, just, you know, by the by. Because uh, there's a lot of research showed, and I think there's a, a book called Persuasion by Robert Cialdini, who, who talks about this, that it, it actually predisposes them to be in a better mood and be in a much better mental or emotional state before you actually start your conversation. And so they're more likely to be favourable in that. And he's written a whole book on that. <laughs> and then yeah, making sure that they're in the right frame of mind before you actually start is really important. And then, so if you if you are struggling with your boss, like if you don't have a great relationship and you need to try and kind of either turn that around or 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 at least try and deflect some of the the hostility, there's a few things to to think about. There's the sort of ten that I have in my book. So the first one is to detach. Okay, so you can't take what they're doing personally, and this is a really good thing to think of at work. When you're at work, it's not personal; it is work. But particularly when you're dealing with a narcissist, they have such a complex makeup in their psychology that means that they do have to, to strike out at you. If you actually show them that you're visibly horrified by their offensive behaviour, that will be an issue for them. Like they will change the way that they think about you based on how you react to their bad behaviour. So it, it might feel like they, they deserve some sort of a, a reproach for what they've done, but it's not going to help you if you want to continue working with them or if you want to turn the relationship around. The other thing is you cannot criticise them at all. So this can be, again, it can be very difficult, but you will have a better chance of success if you avoid criticizing them because they cannot take any criticism we'll talk about it a bit later as to how they you can um, offer advice but you definitely cannot criticism they love compliments but the thing is you have to be very sincere and be impressed so don't do this if you can't do it like if you actually really just can't do it don't do it but if there's something that you see that they do well and you're like yeah and you you're impressed by it give them compliments they love, you know, they believe that they're great. So they feel like they, you know, they, they deserve com, um, compliments. So compare them to famous people or high status individuals and or communicate that they're already legendary because that will, that helps boost their ego and keep them in that, that all good kind of state that they really need to do. So Just the other wow, one is to, hey? yeah, yeah, I know, <laughs> I know. It, wow. <laughs> it can be, again, this is if you want to repair the relationship because there's, you know, for some people, this is really, really difficult. But, um, but if you do want to get along, then these are, these are some of the strategies that are really going to help you get back into favour with the, the narcissist. 
So also double check the advice you get from competent people or people that are a higher level because what they will do is that will actually, they'll appreciate you talking to them about it and associating them with someone at a higher level because that's where they aspire to be. And also it, it protects you because they will understand if you if you don't actually follow their advice because they'll know that, okay, we well, have to follow the advice of the higher up, but you've at least gone and checked it with them and they feel like you, you know, they're at that nice status. The next one is to, to actually get mad on behalf of the narcissist. So something like, oh, it's so bad that others treat you so poorly. They don't understand how great you are or try and see things from their point of view. And that can take, oh, you know, I can't believe they didn't, they didn't give you the promotion or, or what have you or th things like this. If you get mad on their behalf, then they'll feel like you're on their side. And for them, trust is very important. If they feel like they can trust you, then if, if your relationship is broken with them, that's the thing that you need to start building. And that's how these things can sort of can help a bit. So empathize with them. So even empathize with their lack of empathy. So something like, oh, everyone's too touchy-feely these days, or some people can be so stubborn, or you have to act important to be important or something like that. So yeah. That's a fascinating so you, one. That's yes, a fascinating yeah, one. I know. Uh, it's, Again, like for some for some people, it may be very very difficult because you don't don't really feel it, and that's another thing that a lot of them will know if if you're being insincere, and and that can backfire. First one, detachment. So actually mentally detaching and and just putting a, like a, a cap over your emotions and going right, okay, so they're they're going to behave badly. They're probably going to insult me, <laughs> but I you know that actually isn't to do with me. That's not it's not a reflection on me it's actually a reflection on them I've just got to get past that and um, try some of these these new things and that's another thing that's really important the the last one is just don't put yourself down so in a lot of situations we like to try to be humble and we think okay that will maybe ingratiate us if we say you know put ourselves below them but with for a narcissist they're actually less disgusted by other narcissists and they only really care if competent people like them so they don't want you to be a threat. So this is a, this is a tight little balance here. So they need to at least marginally respect you. But if you appear too great, then you'll be a threat to them. So you could say something like, you know, oh, I consider myself to be good at X, but you're just incredible. Or, uh, but, but never put yourself down because putting yourself down is seen as a weakness. And it comes back to that whole object relations thing. So you're either all good or all bad. So if you point out something negative about yourself, you might think, okay, I'm being really self-aware because I know that I could improve in this area. But if you are identifying things about yourself that are negative, then you're helping them put you in that all bad category because they can't see you as a whole person you're either all good or all bad so there's some interesting uh, ways that you can try and change the way that you're dealing with them that may actually have a positive effect on on, on your behavior um, yeah so you could choose a few of those couldn't you and do some mini yeah. experiments around that and say yes. does this change things is yes. you know is staying in this role sustainable yeah. um, or do i need to review yeah. yeah, and also one of the points I mentioned there is you cannot you cannot criticize them. Like, do not give criticize because that will not end well for anyone. But there is still potentially some ways that you can, uh, you know, so it's just the way you word things. So if they're if they're saying something, uh, you know, they're suggesting something that that looks like a complete disaster, the the way you phrase things. So 
uh, could be things like, look, this is just a suggestion, but what if we tried X or it appears to me that the data is telling us X or look, I could be wrong, but I think, or, you know, I wonder what would happen if we tried X or th these kinds of things. So this, would you like me to explore this option? So it sounds a bit more generalised rather yes, than yeah, yeah. pointing a finger at anyone and it's testing something out rather than this is the answer. Yeah, um, yeah. And it all, it, it, those, those kinds of, the way that you phrase those kinds of questions mm. opens it up for them to even kind of think that it's their idea or go, oh, yeah, no, you're right. Oh, no, not you're right, but actually, you know, and they can kind of take it on and, and pretend it's their idea as well or, <laughs> or what have you to get, to get a, an outcome. It's all about self-esteem for them and also for you and how you can actually, okay, if you want to continue to have a relationship with a narcissist, then it's, okay, well, how can I make sure that most of the time, if not all of the time, I can be in that favoured person or, or at least how can I protect myself to, so that they don't target me as, as often? Yeah, perfect. And so so many useful strategies. And if we think about strengths profiles, if you're strong on thinking and influencing strengths, you might think, hey, I can depersonalize this and get on with it and test mm. different things out. If you're yep. stronger on the more relationship building side and maybe a bit more sensitive like myself, I'm, mm. I'm hearing this and thinking these are such clever strategies, but I would want to make an exit plan for myself. Um, I know that you've come up with a great framework to be looking at more mid and longer term options. Can we walk through that? Sure. Look, really, there's five options you have if you're in a situation with a narcissist. So the first one is you can just stay and suck it up. So you can do, do nothing. Doing nothing is really the easiest and the hardest option that you've got here because staying in a, in a situation with a narcissist, a narcissistic boss, when you're not in favour with them can be, and even if you are, sometimes it can be very, very distasteful um, watching them bullying other people and or, or just, just some of the behaviour. And, and it is very, very dangerous because they can swing and change at any any time. But just saying and sucking it up, then, then you really need to look at that detaching and leaving your office at work and how do you actually, how, you know, how, how do you manage the stress and potentially how do you gamify the behaviour? This is one of my favourite things sometimes is if you've, if you've got somebody behaving really badly in the workplace consistently, sometimes I make a little game out of it, maybe with one of my colleagues or something like this. And you, you basically, you know that they're going to insult you or they're going to do a particular thing. Sometimes it could even be a weird habit or something that they have. And you can place bets. This is just to keep sane, right? I mean, this is not, obviously not a bet. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, something that's going to improve your productivity or chances with them. But just for your sanity, you know, you can you can assign points to different behaviour and kind of, you know, make bets on what's happening every day. Little things like that that you can do just to, to relieve the stress. But I, I don't like really it. recommend that. I like that it a lot option. because it helps you just to detach. Yeah. And again, exactly. for the short, potentially for the short term, it's really helpful, isn't it? Absolutely. And you recognise, okay, that's the behaviour that belongs to them. It actually doesn't belong to you. Uh, that's something that is predictable in their behaviour and there's, probably, there's potentially nothing that you could do to change it. So uh, as we say, there's, there's some things that you could do to try, but I, I don't advocate for this. I think staying and sucking it out is, is, can be really detrimental to your, to your health. But I mean, there's a, really, there's a variety of reasons you might do that. The second one is to recover the relationship. And okay, so maybe it has been shitty with your boss, but now that you have all of this information about your narcissist, you can actually go, huh, okay, well, maybe I could try some of these things. Maybe I could try protecting myself better. And 
try some of these strategies like you know you go through these strategies have a bit of a look and think okay well maybe a couple of these I could try and yeah but also making sure that you have clarity in your role but 100% protecting yourself is very very important with these guys the other thing is maybe get a mentor within the organization as well and that can kind of help you you can talk through the issues but a lot of people are experienced in this now because there's a lot of narcissists higher up in organizations so but if you if you want to recover the relationship those things that we were talking about just before those strategies and protecting yourself is incredibly important the third one is you may want to move sideways in your existing organization so sometimes the relationship with your boss is just unrecoverable like there is nothing you're going to do and particularly with a, a narcissist Sometimes it's just too damaged or you might be too bitter. You may not, you may be like, oh, I cannot give this guy a compliment or this, this woman has just put me through too much. I cannot sit there and even try these things. I'm just too bitter. You know, I'm just too angry. And if you recognize that, or also you may try all these things and nothing happens, but if you can recognize that you go, okay, well, and your organization is, is a good organization. So maybe it's just this particular individual is tricky, but the rest of the culture is good moving sideways in your organization is, is, is something to think about. So looking for another team where there's maybe healthier people to work with. And so in this situation, so fostering allies, so making other friends in different parts of the organization is really good because they can alert you to opportunities. They, they can be your allies, you know, understand what's going on around you. Also getting a mentor is very, very important. And yeah, so that, that networking internally and looking for opportunities and yeah, and potentially even discussing with HR, but you have to be very careful with that. But if they're a good organisation, they will not want to lose your valuable corporate knowledge. The fourth option is to leave and do something else. So if your organisation isn't big enough for a sideways move or the culture is that, you know, it's not just this, this particular boss, it's an awful culture throughout, it may just be time to leave altogether. But when you do make that jump, you don't just want to jump out of the frying pan and into the fire, but have a really good think about it. Do you want another job in the same field? Would you like to try something different? Do you want to do something on your own? And if you do want to go to another organisation, well, first of all, Nikki's the great person to talk to about all these things. Uh, it's, it's really about, okay, well, do your due diligence. What is the culture like in that organisation? Or are you going to end up in another narcissist field organisation? You know, what, what's the culture like? What's the CEO like? Um, what's the new opportunity? Or if you're starting something on your own, okay, well, maybe can you cut down to part-time? When are you expecting your first revenue sort of to come through? What are the, what are the steps, steps that you need to do? So think about, again, fostering allies is really important because you may need a referee at the next place that you go. And if your relationship with your boss is so bad, obviously you don't want you them, you know, you don't want to be putting them onto your narcissist. So that fostering allies and getting mentors and things like that becomes really important again. And number five, and definitely the most interesting and character building is take the fucker down. If what is happening to you is illegal or gross misconduct or severely negligent or they're really, really incompetent or they're just, you know, hardcore bullies and you, you can gather all your evidence together, this may be right for you. And I've spoken to a lot of people uh, during the course of my book who, who have done this and it, it's, it's not for everybody. So it is something that can cause a lot of stress for you because it's not always that easy. 
that you, you might think, okay, well, the organisation is definitely going to be on my side. Look, I've got all this evidence and then they, they may not go. Um, it depends. It really depends on your organisation. So HR is a double-edged sword. HR, the Human Resources Department, is not there for you. They're actually there for the organisation. So they're all about actually protecting the organisation and fostering the, the culture and the experience that the, the organisation needs. So if you present to HR and the people in HR are all about just, just protectionism, then, you know, they're not necessarily going to be on your side. Sometimes they are. Some, in some organisations, you go to HR and you, you present what you have and they're like, oh, my God, we have to act. And this is amazing. Um, okay, right, we'll... And, and, and they will act uh, appropriately, but you cannot guarantee that. And you, if you've been in the organisation for a little while, you'll probably have a sense for how you think that would go. But HR is not the only place that you can go. You can also go to like industrial relations. You can go to a lawyer. You can even go to the police if what you have is is illegal. Uh, and so um, you really need to think think through all of that. I have to say, although um, the people that I've spoken to in my book have, it's been an incredibly stressful situation to do this. They, they, I found that a lot of them have felt really empowered afterwards, like they, they don't regret doing it. And some people who didn't do this, who had some really bad behaviour, regret not doing it. But there's all different types of reasons. Like you need to have a lot of resilience to, to, to go through this process, to, to go and blow the whistle on something that's, that's not right. But that's, yeah, there's a, there's a whole, whole universe to this area. <laughs> so, but they're, they're really And when you talk thing. about lawyers, there are specifically employment lawyers. Yes. Um, who can give you some guidance on what to expect, you know, in yes. terms of timelines and stress and likelihood of outcomes and things like Absolutely. that. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, so helpful to hear all the options. Yeah. <laughs> Claire, can you tell, for the people who did go ahead with um, progressing a claim or, or misconduct, what kind of results did they have? What were the outcomes? Okay, so I was very lucky to have a woman speak to me her name was formerly Carol Orr but she's now Carol Morgan who put together the first sexual harassment case in the, in the workplace case way back in 1983 so she was 16 years old and was well it was basically a violent attempted rape as, as she was a receptionist in, in, a, in a sort of a factory environment and it's a horrific story but he, it was a violent attempted rape and she tried to she obviously left and went to the police and the police told her at the time that it would be very, very difficult to prove the rape, even though she was she had bruises everywhere, her clothes were torn, it was really bad. And that they had never actually had a, a case before. In 1983, they'd just, like less than 12 months, they'd had the, the um, Equal Opportunity Commission had been developed out of Victoria. And so she was the first case. And she fantastically ended up winning but process that she went through to to get there and I mean she there's it's a really great story you have to read it it's it's incredible what she went through you know this guy was sending people to follow her she actually had the mafia get involved she didn't get them but they they offered to get involved for her the the guy at the he he got involved um 
he, he had a punch up with the the media at the the actual hearings he the behavior of this guy during the the actual mediation before they got to the hearings it was it was incredible so it was very very stressful and for this you know by the time she actually got to the equal opportunity commission she was 17 and two and a half days on stand getting grilled quite incredible but she won the case. She didn't get a lot of money. I think it was something like a thousand dollars back then, and which is which is nothing. But she wasn't doing. And, and this guy had offered to pay her a lot of money. She wasn't doing it for that reason. She wanted this guy to, you know, she she wanted to be heard, and she wanted this guy to 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 be prosecuted for what he's done. And it wasn't a criminal prosecution, but he his wife left him. He uh, he lost his big contracts with with his big clients and. Yeah, I'm sure things were, were quite difficult for him after that. But she is really proud that she did that. And, yeah, and she dealt with a lot of media attention. She dealt with people stopping her on the street because they've seen her in the media and saying all kinds of things to her. It was, it was a very stressful process to go through. And she also says that at the time she wasn't necessarily very prepared mentally you know so she's back in the 80s there wasn't so much of the attention to stress management and stress relief and so she she's saying you know now she would have taken care of herself a lot better but yeah she's very very happy that she did it and very proud of what she did as she as she should be um, but it, it, it was a process that took a long time it took a look at a lot out of her but it was worth it in the end that this guy got justice and also because she was the first in Australia it was it was a precedent setting situation so yeah so really really powerful yeah yeah yeah, another incredible story so I think what's fantastic about our chat today Claire is that there are options and I think often when you're working with a really difficult person it's so easy to go into learned helplessness and not feel like you've got options so I think it's just so inspiring uh, to hear the plethora of options we have when working with difficult people and the other thing is everyone is going to want to read more and hear more of these stories and chapters so Claire where can people get on the wait list for your book so if you come to my website it's clairrwriter.com and now uh, I have a special link for you that is just to sign up for like to for information about when this book is due and when you can buy it now Claire is spelled c-l-a-i-r-e so that's clairrwriter.com forward slash f-w-b meaning fuckwood boss basically so that's claire c-l-a-i-r-e r writer w-r-i-t-e-r.com forward slash fwb and i will keep you well up to date and if you want to follow some of my other stories i also have a blog on that same website that you can go to and you can sign up for that too that's brilliant claire is ready to hear from you um i can't wait to hear more i think we're going to have to have another chat and i'll put those links in again in the blog post related to the podcast thanks so much for your time claire this is brilliant so helpful lovely great thanks nikki thanks claire we'll talk to everyone soon bye for now Thanks for listening. If you want to hear more stories like this one, please subscribe. And if you're ready to uncover what's ultimately next for you, whether it's your next role or your dream role, please go to my website, www.nikkismithcoach.com and there you can sign up for a free online webinar workshop or you can reach out to me via the contact form. And if you loved what you heard, please leave a five-star review. I'd love to read what you enjoyed most about the episode. I'll talk to you soon.